today, I want to take some time to talk to you about entering and living in God's upside-down kingdom. Now, I'm going to pray if you'd like to join with me. Father, here in this place this morning, as we pause, as we take a breath, I ask that you might meet with us and that you might help settle some things in our lives, that we might fully understand what it means to enter, but also to live in your space, in your world, in your life here on earth. I pray that you might do your work here today. In Jesus' name, amen. In the book of Mark, chapter 1, talks about a conversation that Jesus had with some people. After John's arrest, it says, Jesus came into Galilee announcing God's good news. The time is fulfilled. God's kingdom is arriving. Turn back and believe the good news. Jesus was walking along that Galilean shore and he was proclaiming this profound message that God's promises to transform this earth are coming into play and Jesus was bringing them in. And he had a simple message, I want you to wholeheartedly, without any wheeling or dealing, turn yourself and, and believe in who I am, because God's kingdom is coming and it's turning this world right side up. If you like, his upside down kingdom is turning this world right side up. And he was proclaiming this message, and it was good news. A little further along the shoreline, he bumped into some brothers, and the conversation goes like this. As he went along the the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew. They were fishermen and were casting their nets into the sea. He had this simple phrase, follow me, said Jesus to them. I'll have you fishing for people. Straight away, they left their nets and followed him. Jesus had a simple message to them. I want you to follow me. He went around the the countryside saying, I want you to to repent. I want you to turn around. I want you to do an about face without any wheeling or dealing with God. And what I want you to do is believe this good news. And then as he worked further along the shore, he came to some brothers and he said, I don't just want you to believe. I want you to actually follow. What I want you to do is actually not just believe in your head. I want you to follow with your body. I still remember the days in which I lost a student. Many years ago, when I was a high school teacher, I lost a student. We had uh, a class that would take place in phys ed, and if we were doing in the swimming pool, we would have to walk from the school to the pool. And it would take about 10 minutes walk. It was about a kilometer's worth of walking. And I would say to my students before we left, I want you to follow me. I want you to stay close. Where I go, I want you to go as well. Well, on one particular day... Let's call him Kevin. Actually, I think his name was Kevin. (laughs) We were walking along between the school and the pool. And Kevin decided to play up a little bit. He decided to lay down in the grass. He was just pretending to be dead. He was pretending to just hide. And and we just thought that was funny at the time. And so I just said, okay, everyone, just ignore him. If you ignore a boy long enough, sooner or later, they will get the message. And, And so we just kept walking. And, and it got to the point where I turned around and he was just out of eye shot. And being the cautious teacher that I was, I paused for a moment and I just said to one of the students, would you just go back and check where Kevin is because I'm uncomfortable being out of eye shot. So the student went back 
And then the student came back and said, I can't find Kevin. I said, are you kidding? They said, no, we've lost Kevin. I said, this is terrible. So I gathered all the students and let's hurry quickly to the pool. We raced to the pool. Well, I did. And I got there and I called the school straight away and I said, I'm afraid we've lost a student. We've lost Kevin. They said, he's okay. He's here in the principal's office. I said, what on earth is he doing in the principal's office? You see, the principal was driving by. <laughs> when Kevin was playing in the grass, acting all kind of silly. And the principal pulled the car over and said, get in the car. He said, what are you doing? He said, I don't know. So he took him back to the office. And if you had have asked Kevin, should have you been following Mr. Arnott, he would have said yes. Should have you been doing a PE class right now in the pool, he would have said yes. Should you be in the pool right now, he would have said yes. And if the principal had said to him, are you and have you followed Mr. Arnott, he would say no. Jesus, when he walked on the face of this earth, He said, I just want you to believe. What I want you to do is follow. Because it's too easy to believe in this day and age. You can say, I believe that the sky is blue. You can say, I believe that the sun is hot. You can say, I believe that winter is coming and today is Sunday. And you can also say, I believe that Jesus is the king of the earth. And that might change nothing that you do if you just have it as an intellectual belief, some sort of agreement. Belief has to translate into follow for you to walk with Jesus. Jesus isn't asking you to believe. He's bidding you follow. Jesus isn't just asking you to believe. He's bidding you follow. For the next three and a half years, Peter and Andrew discovered what it was like to follow Jesus. It was like one giant game of Simon Says, except it was Jesus Says. When Jesus got up in the morning... They would get up in the morning. When Jesus stopped to eat, they would stop and eat. When Jesus went to the town next door, they went to the town next door. When Jesus said, can you get some food to feed 5,000? He said, is that all you've got? (laughs) So let me deal with this. You see, what they were learning to do over that three and a half years is follow Jesus. Friends, in today's day and age, it's too easy to believe in things and not do anything about them. Jesus bids you follow. We can read about this in Luke chapter 18. There's a story about a man. He was a ruler and we discover he was a wealthy one. It goes like this. There was a ruler who asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit the life of the age to come? You see the man, he had the means. This man, this ruler, he had the influence, but he was looking for some assurance. So Jesus said to him, well, you know the commands, honor your mother and father. Don't cheat, don't lie, don't steal. And he said, teacher, Jesus, all these things I have done since I was a little boy, and he was sincere. And Jesus looked at him and he said these words, there's just one thing you're short of to complete the whole box set. Sell everything you own, distribute it to the poor, And you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. At that moment, it says that this wealthy, rich man went away sad because he couldn't follow. You see, he wanted to believe in Jesus. That's why he came to him. But Jesus bid him follow. 
At that moment, Jesus turned and he said how hard it is for wealthy people to enter the kingdom of heaven, not just because they have riches, but because all of their life is wrapped around this security blanket called their wealth and the influence that comes with it. And when Jesus comes and he calls bidding people come, they have to make a decision. Am I going to find and locate my security in these things or am I going to transplant them and put them into Jesus being the king of the world? Or am I going to make my kingdom the kingdom that I hold on to? And at that moment, Jesus declares, how hard it is for wealthy rich people to enter into the kingdom of heaven and his disciples look at him and they say Jesus are you serious how on earth are we going to enter into that age to come how are we going to be part of the new kingdom and Jesus says don't worry all things are possible with God but I tell you this anyone who has followed me and has left mother and brother and sister won't in this life get more mothers and brothers and sisters and in the age to come in the life that's coming in the new kingdom that's arriving life in that place too you see it's too easy to believe in our culture it's too easy to just believe in things Jesus is not asking you to believe he's bidding you to follow I'm making sense Jesus bids us come. You see, this man was looking for assurance for the age to come. He was looking to Jesus for an insurance policy for heaven. Jesus wanted him and his body as a transforming agent here for earth. And he went away sad. What did this man need? He needed to cross a line of faith. The Bible says, behold... I stand at the door of your life and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and enter into their lives and they with me. And we will kind of like have fellowship together. You see, what was on offer from this man was a a life, not just in the age to come, but a transforming life here below. And he needed to cross the line of faith. I wonder if you're here this morning and the line of faith is before you and you're just wondering... What do I need to do to enter? And John writes, he says, to all who received him, he gave the right to become a child of God. It's when someone unreservedly says to Jesus, I want you to come into my life without any wheeling or dealing and would you take up residence? I don't want you just to be in the foyer. I want you to come into the whole house. (laughs) And his life comes in. How do you enter? You embrace Jesus. Some of you might be here today and you say, you know what, I just don't feel like I've I've got everything sorted out in my life. What I'd like to do is sort my life out and then I'll come to Jesus. Jesus says, no, (laughs) that's why I came in the first place. You trust in me and I'll do some sorting out. Some of you might be here this morning and you go, I I just want to get a little bit more respectable because when I'm a little bit more respectable and cleaned up, then then Jesus will be thinking that I'm a little bit of a better person and then he'll come and he'll say, you don't understand. I came for the sick people, not for the ones who are healthy. If you think you've got it all together, then you don't need me at all. Some of you here this morning and you might think to yourself, if I just get a little bit more worthy... If I'm just a little bit more worthy, then Jesus will look at me and God will embrace me and you don't understand his message. And his message profoundly and simply is this, that no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done or has been done to you, God loves you. You, There's nothing you can do to, uh, to earn his love even more than he already has for you. He loves and he just bids you come. Jesus doesn't want us to just believe. He wants us to follow. 
Phil, could you just chuck me those keys for a minute? Thank you. Some years ago, I was given a troopy, a Toyota troopy to drive in the desert. Our family was doing a trip up to uh, Alice Springs and our, our friends had a troopy up there and they said, why don't you go and visit Palm Valley? I said, that sounds awesome. I would love to go and visit Palm Valley. They said, you can't get there in your Mitsubishi Magna station wagon. You will have to use our Toyota troopy. I said, that sounds marvelous. It's an awfully big car. They said, that's fine. It'll get there. And so we jumped in and I drove that car to Palm Valley until the place where there was this huge amount of sand in front of me. I thought, that looks like a sand trap. That's okay, because I'm in a Toyota Troopy. And they, I just remember watching TV shows. They said, don't stop in sand, don't stop in sand, don't stop in sand. So I drove it in the sand. And I stopped. <laughs> and, and then I did something that was just, uh, it just made perfect sense to me at the time. I thought, I'll reverse myself out of here. <laughs> and I went deeper. And then I said, then I'm going to go forward because I've reversed myself in deeper. And then I went in deeper at the front end. And then we got out of the car in the middle of nowhere and I said, we are stuck in this Toyota Droopy. (laughs) Until an older gentleman came with the Nissan Patrol. (laughs) He turned the corner. We thought we were left to all of ourselves. There was no one. We were just going to have to walk out. And he came around and he jumped out of his car and no, no kidding you, he did this in the middle of nowhere. Ha! Ha! Ah! This is great. You have made my day, mate. <laughs> I'll drag you out of there if you let me take a photo of my Nissan Patrol dragging a Toyota Troopy out. And I'm going to post it on my Facebook. My son's going to love this. <laughs> Brilliant. He walked up to me and he said, move over, give me the keys. (laughs) And I did. And we got out. Friends, Jesus isn't asking you to believe. Believing is too easy these days. He's asking and bidding you to follow. How do you follow him? It's when you take the keys of your life and you say, I've had enough driving myself here. You have a turn, Jesus. The keys are yours. That's how you enter into his space in his realm. And what will happen when you do that? What will happen when you do that? What will happen when you do that? One chapter over, you discover what happens when Jesus comes alive in your life. This is what happens because we learn a story about another man by the name of Zacchaeus. He's a wealthy tax collector, just like the rich ruler before, and he's a short man, and so he's up in a tree. He's got the means, he's got the influence, but he's curious about Jesus. So he must have heard something about Jesus to cause him to climb up into a sycamore tree because he just wants to get a peek. And as Jesus is walking through the lowest city on the face of this earth by the name of Jericho, he looks up to this tall, high branch and he says, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, hurry up and come down for I want to stay at your house today. So he hurried up, came down and welcomed him with joy. Now something happens between the the tree, and the lunch. We don't know quite what's happened, but we know that something has happened between the tree and the lunch. Because when lunchtime comes, partway through the luncheon, this is what Zacchaeus spontaneously does. He stands up in the midst of all of his friends and he says, Look, Master, I'm giving half of my property to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'm giving it back to them four times over. 
Zacchaeus knows what he has been. He knows that he is, if you like, unworthy. He knows that he needs some things sorted out. But somewhere between the tree and the lunch, something uh, transpires in his heart and his mind to cause him to spontaneously behave differently. He knows he's cheated people out of finance, so God's restorative justice comes to his heart and he makes restitution. And then his heart, if you like, is transformed, so he he realizes it's not just about accumulation, it's about redistribution. And so he says, half of my wealth I'm going to give away because I have far too much. And Jesus says in the middle of this luncheon, he says, today salvation has come to this house because he too is the son of Abraham. You see, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus doesn't want you to just believe. He wants you to follow and build for his kingdom. What happened to Zacchaeus? What happened to Zacchaeus? Well, we'd call it Zacchaeus experienced some saving grace. What is that? Grace. God's supernatural ability to accomplish in your life what you cannot do for yourself. God's supernatural ability to accomplish in your life and my life and our lives what we cannot do for ourselves. Transform a heart and a mind. Saving, saved, salvation. What what, what is all that stuff about? Well, I tell you, it's this. When Jesus rose to, to new life on Easter Sunday morning, the new world that he brought into being on that Sunday morning just came alive in a man called Zacchaeus. And it transformed his whole dimension of his life so he saw the world differently. Jesus doesn't want us to just believe. He he wants us to follow. And how do we follow when we unreservedly say, you know what, Jesus, you are who you are. Would you come into my life? And he pours out his, if you like, saving grace. God's supernatural ability to accomplish things in your life that you cannot do for yourself. Saving that you've entered into the new life of the age to come and it's breaking forth in you right now. God doesn't want you to just believe. He wants us to follow. You see, if you like, Zacchaeus might have been lying there in bed and going, wow, that was amazing. But now it's day two. And he's woken in the morning and he's thinking to himself, gee, yesterday was incredible. I lost half of my wealth <laughs> and, and I found myself doing something yesterday that I've never done before in my whole life. I've become generous to other people. <laughs> now what do I do? Could you imagine Zacchaeus lying in bed going, should I just lie in bed for the rest of my life? And Jesus would say, no, stupid. What I want you to do is continue it on and continue it on and continue it on and build for my kingdom. Well, what's involved in that? Well, you've experienced my saving grace. Now I want you to experience some of my behaving grace. You've experienced my rescuing grace. Now I want you to experience some of my sustaining grace in your life. And Zacchaeus might say, well, what on earth does that look like? And Jesus might whisper back, it involves two things. The first thing is this. Zacchaeus, you need a wheel alignment. (laughs) The other day, a family member threw me the keys to their car and said, could you drive it? I think there's something wrong. So I did. I jumped in the car and I drove at 20 metres. 20 metres. 
I knew the feel. It was pulling me hard to the left and had this flapping sound as you drove on the road. <laughs> I said, that's a flat tyre. It was pulling me to the left. So I just did a U-turn, parked the car back again. I thought to myself, the person needs to change the tyre and probably get a wheel alignment. Why? Because the engine's fine. The engine's been fixed. But if you like, after that moment on, your life just needs a little bit of wheel alignly will aligning. If you like, he's dropped a new engine in, but there's some steering stuff that needs to be fixed up. If you like, Jesus doesn't want you to just follow in halfness. He wants us to follow in wholeness. Troy, you're talking about this thing called holiness, this lost idea in our culture, in our community. Absolutely. What, what, what is that holiness? What is that stuff about? It's when God aligns our bodies to his thinking and to his heart, or put it another way, he transforms our hearts and our minds so that they're aligned with what we do with our bodies. Zacchaeus, you need a wheel alignment. You need to experience some of God's sustaining, behaving grace. That's the first thing. And the second thing you need, Zacchaeus, is simply this. You need a prayer. You need a prayer. You need a prayer that goes something like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. You see, the disciples came to Jesus. They had believed and they were following. And they said to Jesus, now what do we do? We've been following you. Would you teach us to pray? And Jesus comes back and says, I'm not just going to teach you to pray. I'm going to teach you how to live. And so he gives them this prayer that goes something like this. I want you to pray this prayer every day. I want you to pray it when you're walking. I want you to pray it when you wake up. I want you to pray it at night time. I want you to pray it in the morning time. And it goes something like this. Our Father, God who dwells in the heavens, not far away, but awfully close, just like Narnia, if you like. May your name be honoured, not my name. You're the famous one, not me. May your kingdom come. May your will be done here on earth, just as it is in heaven. What does that look like? What does that look like? And Jesus might come back and say, didn't you watch Prince Caspian in the Dawn Treater? He discovered that he was a king. People discovered that they were a queen, that they were, if you like, created to continue God's good restorative work here on earth, bringing his order and his life to it. And so he gives them this life-giving prayer. And he says, I want you to pray it. Our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. May your kingdom come through me. May your will be done through me here on earth right now, just like it is where you dwell in your heavens. Where do we pray this? Everywhere. You pray it in the school. You pray it in the workplace. You pray it for your community. You pray it for your home. There's this idea of saying, God, I want to drag your heavens here down on earth. I want to bring your space where you dwell here on earth so other people can see. My friends, Jesus isn't just asking us to believe. He's bidding us follow. Donald Soper, the great Methodist minister and socialist and pacifist in 1937, 
wrote these words in a discourse. And this is what he wrote. Before the church challenges anybody else to accept its faith in God, it must declare what is the Christian form of social life and must refuse to support any other. I want men to know that by giving their allegiance to Christianity and women, that they will be embarking upon a great campaign to banish war and poverty and injustice, to overthrow the false and corrosive doctrines of state, empire and race purity, and to set up a communal life where love and service has taken the place of selfishness and armed might. But just as important, I want the church which sends out this manifesto to be the advance copy of that new world that it preaches. Woo! And that was in 1937, two years before Christian nation went against Christian nation to form one of the most bloodiest wars on the face of this earth. Did they, and did we get it wrong? Absolutely. You see, Jesus doesn't want just people to believe. He wants them to follow. I said some weeks ago I was going to preach my guts out, didn't I? Forgive me if I'm passionate about these things. Because this, my friends, is Jesus' upside-down kingdom coming alive, putting us right side up and bidding us come. Craig, will you come up, please? I wonder if you're here this morning. I wonder if you're here this morning. And you're wondering, God, where do I fit? Where do I fit with entering or living in your space? And you've heard the prayer that the calling of God and the future of this world is the fulfillment of that prayer. May your kingdom come here on earth. May your kingdom come here on earth. Because that's the future of this cosmos. The unification of heaven and earth. The bringing together of the space where God dwells with our space. How long do I need to live like that? How long do I need to live like that? How long do I need to live like that? Until the day, until the day, it says, when Jesus returns. And the only question he's going to ask on that day, were you building for my kingdom or were you building for your kingdom? And for the people who say, Jesus, we didn't want a bar of you, he'll be grieved and sad. And he'll say, okay, you want to continue to build for your kingdom, then you can't be part of mine. There's no appeals. There's no court of arbitration. Human rights. For others who answer that with, oh, we've been waiting for this day all of our lives. The unification of all things is going to say, well done, 
good and faithful servant. Now into my Father's rest. Jesus isn't just asking us to believe. That's far too easy. He's bidding us to follow and build for his kingdom. Whilst we have breath. Whilst we have life. Whilst we have a heartbeat. What do I do? Well, if you're outside, I want you to come and open the door so Jesus can step into the foyer. How do I do that? Take the keys of your life and give them to him. What do I do if I've done that? And I'd say, welcome him into the rest of the house. Look at your hands for a moment. Just have a good look. Front side, back side. Some of you have got dirt in your nails. I do. Some of you have got scars on your hands, calluses. The work's hard. If you'd be willing today, I want to commission your hands for the rest of this year. For the rest of this plus one year. The most powerful tool that God has given you are your hands. Because with them, you can build people up. And with them, you can tear people down. With them, you can give life. And with them, you can bring death. Greatest power you have as a follower of him, not the only one, but the one we start here is with your hands. When you say, God, I want to give you my hands to do your bidding. So you come to him and you say, I want to serve with my hands, people around me. And then the other profound way you can use your hands is that you lay them on someone's shoulder and you can pray for them. The most powerful use of your hands to serve and to pray. This year, for the next two-thirds of this year, I'd like to commission your hands to do his bidding. That people might walk in newness of life because there's some way in which they see your hands are being used to serve and they're being used when the moment's right. Can I pray for you? And God shows up. So in a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand and there's going to be some people that are going to position in the room. In fact, why don't you go there now just so we can see you there. And all they're going to do is just be available for you. And if you're here and you say, you know what, I, it's time to allow Jesus into the foyer. I'm going to take a set of keys. If you don't have one, borrow someone from next to you. And if there's no one who drives a car next to you, just take your imaginary keys. And what you can do is you can walk up to Ali over here. When she's behaving, she's Ali. When she's misbehaving, she's Allison. She's Ali. And you can just come up here and you place your keys there and she's just going to pray for you and say, Jesus... Would you come into this person's life? 
For many of you, though, it might be, I need my hands commissioned for the work ahead. And so you will walk up to any of these folk and you'll just hold them out like this and they're going to put their hand in yours and they're just going to say, God, would you use these hands to serve you mightily? And then flip them over and say, would you use these hands to see prayer answered in people's lives? Can we do that? Can we do that? Sometimes to make a shift, we need to make a shift to hop up out of our chairs, to move over, to be ministered to and then return as we sing this song. So why don't you stand up with me now? Entering and living into the kingdom of heaven.